0: This is the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, a collection of sermons from Dr. Lewis's time as a teaching pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope you grow in your faith and love Jesus more as you learn through these teachings. Here is this week's message. Well, this morning we have the uh, opportunity with summer coming, and you kind of feel summer coming, don't you? We have the opportunity of enjoying the start of a new series here this morning. It's a series with a distinct flavor. It's a series that we hope will encourage you and motivate you and inspire you. The series we're about to embark on is meant to build you up and to move you to positive action. As you note on your outline, we've entitled this new series Words of Life. And for the next five weeks as we transition from the end of school into the months of summer and before we tackle the great book of Galatians, verse by verse, we thought it would be exciting for us here at Fellowship to probe these five biblical words that when understood can unleash an incredible sense of power and excitement in your life. You know, I'm reminded of a crossroads-like moment in the life of Jesus Christ with His disciples. It was a moment where it had been a really hard day. Maybe you've had one of those this week. Or maybe this whole week has been a hard week. And it was the end of this hard day and Jesus had said some hard things. And because of the hard things that He had said, people were confused. Some were perplexed and puzzled. Some, quite frankly, were probably angry. For a man to stand before this great throng of people and offer encouragement was one thing, but for him to step into what seemed for many irreverence, for him to make radical, life-changing kind of statements like he did that day, was hard. So he spoke to the crowds and he said to them, I am the bread of life. That was hard. And then he went on to say something even more stinging to some and exciting to others. He said, and he who believes in Me shall never die. Well, there was confusion that day. Uh, Some were taken aback at these radical statements. Some began actually to grumble. By the end of this long day, John tells us in the sixth chapter of his Gospel, Many of his his disciples withdrew, and they had decided that they would no longer walk with him anymore. You know, in the midst of that defection, where people began to leave, and you can imagine these this inner circle of twelve watching these people walk away when they were wanting to be part of a movement. They wanted to see numbers, they wanted to see power. And now this collective power was dissipating right before their very eyes. As these people moved away, Jesus turned to these 12 men and he asked them a very penetrating question. He said to them, You do not want to go away also, do you? Well, think about it. I bet in their minds he had already gotten a little bit ahead of these men. And when they heard those words, when they heard that hard question, I bet some of them actually were thinking about leaving themselves. I mean, this journey, sometimes it's a struggle, right? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're not sure if you want to keep doing this. And here these guys are up this morning asking you to go back and sign up to serve. And Bill says, it's a privilege to serve. Oh, yeah, and he's the bread of life. Right? Those are hard statements. It's a privilege to serve. Yeah, right. After my week? Well, in the midst of that question, and as they contemplated the various answers, you know, Jesus saw Simon Peter, and Simon was always kind of getting out ahead of the rest of the guys. And as that question was asked, he... Made a statement that became a marvelous confession, a heart pounding confession. He said, This, Lord, to whom shall we go? (laughs) You alone have the words of life. Oh, yeah, he does. They're hard at times, but he does. Jesus Himself had once said that openly to the multitudes. He had said, the words that I have spoken to you are life. He would even modeled that for us in the midst of His temptation. When the enemy had come to Him trying to sway Him from His ultimate destination and mission. And Jesus rebuked the enemy by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Isn't it amazing that a spoken word can have such life-giving influence? That words have such power? You know, we recite the old nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's never been a greater myth spoken than that nursery rhyme because words hurt. But you know what else? Words. these, These things that we concoct in our minds that flow forth off our lips... Did you know those words, those very words can give life to another person? You know, certain words have the power of changing one's entire direction. You know, even on a human level, even when we reduce it down to a human level, let's forget about the biblical level for a minute, and we're going to talk about biblical words of life, but even on a human level, we found that words are life-giving. Just in saying a word, just in saying a word, you can feel empowered. You don't believe me, do you? Okay, well, I'm going to give you a few words, and then before I give you these words, when you see these words, when you hear these words, you're going to feel some life come into you. We're going to have that sensation here this morning. Here's a, a group of words that give life. Here's the first one. Oh, Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) I so appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You'll take care of it? Oh, yeah, I'll take care of it. Can you feel the power of that statement? Here you are, you're beat down. Some guy calls you out, takes you to lunch. In the midst of pouring your heart out, there's something that's going wrong, and he looks at you and says, Hey, Fred, I'll take care of it. Wow. There's life in that. Here's another word that's really life giving in our world today. It's this word rest. Let's just turn the lights down. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't you just shut your eyes for a moment? Okay? Everybody just shut your eyes. Let's just be quiet here for a second. Rest. You need to rest. Wow, doesn't that feel good? There's power in words, isn't there? How about this word? We've kind of seen a demonstration of this word already, but this word has turned so many lives around, healed so many relationships. It's this two little words. Here's what they are I'm sorry. You can be light years apart. You don't even want to see the person ever. You will walk around one memorial to the other side to avoid them. But they can walk into your life and utter those two little words I'm sorry, and everything is then okay. You embrace, you feel the power come back in your relationship and you're one again. Feels good. Here's another phrase. means a lot to people. (laughs) Feels good, doesn't it? Don't you want to just leave right now? (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Let's all go eat out. Have a big party. That feels good. See, those are words on a human level. We're going to talk over the next five weeks about words on a biblical level. Words that you can draw out of the Scriptures that that are mentioned over and over again in the Scripture. And here's the word we want to look at for today. You can put it on the top of your outline. It's this word. It's the word restored. Restored. Such a powerful word. It's a word of life. It's a word that's used over and over again. In fact, that word is found throughout Scripture, but probably the most notable setting that it's found in is in that famous 23rd Psalm. I don't know, there are times when you just open that psalm and you read it and it's just like a healing balm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Did you say that with me? He restoreth my soul. Feels good, doesn't it? Because when you hear those words, He restoreth my soul, you feel hope again. You can be in your most desperate circumstance and you can read that statement and there it is. It's the word restore. And there's a sense in which no matter where you are, no matter how bad it's gotten, no matter how far you've run away, it gives you hope that you can come back. That things can be well again. You know, you look that word up in the Hebrew and that's exactly what it means. The word restore means to turn back. It means to repair. It means to refresh. It means to reinstate back into the original condition. For some of us, when we think about a marriage like Dean and Linda's, you think of where you were at that altar and you think of where you are now. To hear the word restore stands like this incredible Golden Gate Bridge between the two and says you can come back, you can be reinstated, you can be rebuilt, repaired, but the bridge is restored you have to cross over it. You know, all through the scripture, this word restore is presented most often in the context of relationships, either between people or between God and people. For instance, in the 53rd Psalm or 51st Psalm, King David cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. In Ruth 4, Boaz is called a restorer of life to his wife, Ruth. He gave her back a whole life because of how well he lived with her. In Isaiah 57, God says, I've seen your ways, but I will heal you. I will lead you and restore comfort to you, and I will create praise on your lips. Joel 2.25, God says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten away. Those wasted years. I can do that. I can restore you. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if any man is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You see, the word restore is not just any word. <laughs> there are a lot of words. A lot of empty words. No, this is a word of life. And what I want to do this morning is look at that word in the context of a story. The word is not actually even used in the story, but the whole story is about restoration. So why don't you grab your Bibles, and let's turn over to John chapter 21. This is a marvelous story, and those of you who know me know that this is probably one of my favorite stories in all the Scripture. It has such power. It has multiple meanings, as many stories do. But this story is principally about restoration let me give you just a little of the backdrop of this story. You're going to be introduced to seven of the remaining 11 disciples here in this story. And uh, they are at a place in their life where they are exhausted. They're confused. They're at their wit's end. The last few weeks behind this story have been absolutely overwhelming. There's no other word for it. The kingdom that for three years they have longed for and worked for and expected through their Messiah Jesus Christ has dematerialized before their very eyes. Now they are the hunted rather than kings over a kingdom. Their emotions have been like a wild roller coaster ride these past few weeks. They have had hard confrontations with religious leaders, they have had their lives threatened. And yet at the next moment, they were welcomed into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday by adoring crowds that held them up as heroes of the future. And yet they had seen all that come crumbling to the ground through a heart-wrenching, crushing crucifixion. All this just in a few weeks. Not only on top of that, they had had the betrayal of one of their best friends. A guy who they thought they knew, but discovered just a few nights before they didn't know Judas. He had betrayed them. And a betrayal of a friend can be one of the most wounding things in life. And Peter, on top of that, has been mired in his own guilt. A guilt in which he denied the very Lord that he said he gave his life to. Not just one time, but three times. All of that high voltage circumstance had literally fried their emotions and left them wanting and fearful and wondering where life was really going. Now that's what's behind this chapter. And you've got to carry all of that into it or you won't understand how incredibly powerful the restoration that we're about to experience actually is. So look with me at verse 2. We'll pick the story up. It says now there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan, Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to these men, I am going fishing. Now, that kind of sounds good even for today, doesn't it? Let's go fishing. And you'd think it's a pretty innocent statement, but again, that's why the context is so important. This is not just an invitation to a one-day excursion on the Sea of Galilee. This is the ultimate defection. This is a guy on the verge of collapse who doesn't know what to do with his life now that Jesus Christ has seemingly vanished. He has decided that this territory that they had been exploring, this kingdom territory, is at this point no longer worth it. And so he does like a lot of us do when we finally got in the end and we don't think we can go even any further. What do we do? Don't we go back to the familiar? We go back to what we know. At least we can control the routine at least that provided some sense of boundary and security. I just can't take any more of this. So what he's really saying is, I'm going back to the fishing business. How about you guys? And he selects a group who were employed in that particular industry, these men. And you know what they said? Yeah. And they went out and they got in the boat with him. Now you've been there, hadn't you? Does that make sense? When you get to a place where you just don't think you can go any further, where what this kingdom adventure is on, it's got too many hard places as well as maybe exhilarating places. So he's at the place where I don't know if I can go on. So I'm going back to the fishing business. And then what unfolds in the rest of the text is this wonderful story of restoration. Let's look at what happens. Look at verse 3. So they went out. They all got together. They all decided, you know, that's probably the right thing to do, Peter. And they got in the boat, and that night (laughs) they caught nothing. Nothing. Nada. Zero. Zilch the big goose egg. You know what that introduces us to? It introduces us to the beginning of restoration. Because when we flee away from God, here's what we enter into immediately. We enter into the life's not working stage anymore. Right? Life doesn't work anymore. It it doesn't do what it originally used to do, when we, were, when we were separated from God and aliens of the kingdom of heaven, you know, we went about our, our kind of routine without any divine perspective. And then we're ushered into the kingdom. There's a time of exhilaration, but there are these moments in our life where we hit the wall. And sometimes in hitting the wall, what we do is we defect back to that which is more comfortable. But then we discover the awful truth. You can't go back. can't go back. Now we try. We go back to the routine, but in the midst of that routine, it's not what we left. It's not the way we thought we left it. Now we go out in this, new, this old routine, and it's just empty. And that's what these men discovered. That's what they were experiencing. And I can imagine these very veteran fishermen, they're out there on the waters, they're going through their routine, they're casting their nets, and Peter of all people, is probably taken to his very favorite spots where he can guarantee him fish. Zero. And I can tell you, if you're a Christian, you begin to notice things. You begin to put things together. And I'm sure as Peter was out there all night fishing and every cast of the net was coming up with nothing he begins to think, wonder what this means. Right? And that moves us into this next phase I call the stricken conscience phase. Because here it becomes morning. And it says, But when the day was now breaking, and I like that because remember there's symbolism everywhere, it's like this little ray of light coming in from the darkness. It's the day, it's breaking. New insight with day. New insight with light. As the day's breaking, it says, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. But they could see a figure on the beach with this new light. And the voice says to them, verse 5, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? Oh, no. What a hard question. The stricken conscience. You know, it's like after you've had a fight in your marriage and you know you're wrong and you begin to put associations with the emptiness that it's not going to work this way, but you're not going to go back. You're going to go to work. You're just going to go work at the office a little longer, okay? But then as you're driving along down Interstate 430, this little voice comes, And you're not sure where the voice is coming because you can't fully see who it is in your mind that's speaking. Maybe it's just yourself. Maybe you're just deliberating with yourself. And the voice says, how's your marriage? It's a hard question, isn't it? Or maybe it's some commitment that you made and you fumbled the ball and instead of going and making up for that lost commitment, You just kind of hoped it would go away. So you've moved away from it. Her voice comes back and says, you know that commitment that you made, how's it going? And you have to make a decision at that point, that kind of stricken conscience kind of feel. What do you do with that? You know our Lord is so gracious because a lot of times He'll strike our conscience but rather than humiliate us, he begins to minister to us. Doesn't he? That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. I want you to look at the verses that follow because I call this kind of the wooing of grace stage of restoration. I just feel the grace that's in these passages. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. He didn't say, oh, yeah, you didn't catch any fish. (laughs) You know why you didn't? Because you're in rebellion to me. That's why. And I'm out to get you and I'm going to rub your face in it. No, that's not what he said. Here's what he said. Cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find a catch. They cast therefore, and when they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish, oh no, the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Peter, that's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. It's kind of an irrational act. But the other disciples, who had a little more sense, they came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, the fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you've now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, Come and had breakfast. Do you feel the grace there? You know, because in the work of restoration between you and God, He will be clear about pointing out your failure and the emptiness. Because apart from Him, He said you can do nothing. But in calling you back, He calls you into His wealth, He calls you into grace. He calls you into life. And sometimes he'll move around your life in the midst of a circumstance that you still don't want to face. And these guys, by the way, still haven't faced the real issue. But rather than directly speaking to the real issue for a moment, what Jesus Christ will do is he'll begin to move along you, even if you don't deserve it. And he'll just begin to give you blessings. He'll just begin to start blessing your life in some areas because you're finally at least listening so in a struggle or something, some out of nowhere, somebody will come into your life and begin to minister to you. And you, you sense God's moving on me. But he's not moving on me the way I thought he was going to move on me. I thought he was going to hurt me. I thought he was going to make me, make me have to pay for this. No, he's just kind of beginning to build, rebuild at his expense the relationship of restoration. Come and have breakfast, he says. I want to feed you. So Jesus did that. And as he did that, then as you become comfortable in this restoration process, he begins to move you in what I call the call to recommitment stage. Let's now talk about the issue. So after they've had breakfast, I want you to look at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, because Simon is the one who recommended going fishing, do you love me more than these fish? he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then, why don't you tend my lambs?" He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, well, then, you need to shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he kept asking us three times, but then there were three denials, weren't there? Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. What he should have added, I just don't know how to do this. And Jesus said, then tend my sheep. Because Simon, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to do whatever you wanted to do and walk wherever you wished. But listen, when you grow old, if I can interpret, when you grow up, You will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you. He will take you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said signifying by what kind of death he would glorify because ultimately he's going to die for Christ. And when he had spoken this, he said to to Peter the words that Peter needed to hear again. Follow me. Follow me. Now we're down to the issue of restoration. That's where he gets in everyone's life, doesn't he? Now, Simon's about ready to put his lot in with Christ, but you know he does something that we all do because when you start thinking about following, you start thinking about, you know, what this is going to cost me and what this is going to mean. And sometimes you have to kind of rethink all that because now you felt the wooing of grace, you felt the call of commitment, you feel like you're kind of almost there, but to now actually get on this road again, what is this going to mean? And what about other situations and all, a myriad of things start going through your mind, and what I call this is the final excuse stage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's right before you finally get there. You kind of have to bring up issues that are bothering you. That's what he does. Verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who'd also leaned back on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter therefore seeing John, the beloved, Said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? You're not speaking to him this way. What's he gonna, what's gonna happen to him? I mean, you're picking on me. What about, I mean, it's the same thing we do when we see people prospering and we're not prospering and we feel God coming to us and said, Follow me. And we go, What about these people? They don't seem to have any of the trouble I'm having. What, What about this? About this, why don't they have these circumstances? Or why are you asking me to do this and not Bill or Susan or, or Willie here? Willie could do this as good as I could. See, we're, we're, we're kind of at that last point, but that wasn't the point at all. The point was Peter and Jesus, you and him. So Jesus says to him, If I want him to remain, until I come, what is that to you? What are other people? See, life is not about other people. Life's about you and me. So you, he says, follow me. And that leads us to the full recovery stage. You know how the full recovery stage works? It's when Linda, when she was up here, it's when Linda was up there, and she came to that crossroads and she could look at other marriages and other people, some who'd fled and sought their own worlds. And she made the decision at that point it's just me and you. And I got to go home, right? Yeah. You. Go home. But then what the recovery brings is unbelievable. Because when man and God are joined together, when a woman and God are joined together, there's incredible power that gets unleashed at that point. You know, there's an unbelievable pattern here. It's the pattern of restoration. You can almost put any circumstance, and I hope that you will put circumstances in there. You know, some of you have been to a family life conference, and you got in there, and you listened to what marriage was supposed to be from God's design. You got real excited about it you got that fresh vision, you went out, and about six months later, you are kind of worn out. You kind of hit some walls. When you hit those walls, what you want to do is you want to retreat, don't you? And you want to go back to what you were normally used to do. Because what you used to do, the way you used to fight, though it, though it hurt, it was familiar. Right? And you do that for a while, but then the dawn begins to break inside your brain, and you start hearing this voice that says, Hey, is this the way you want it? What do you have here? And you go, i got nothing, but at least it's familiar. <laughs> God is saying, that's not the way it should be. It's an adventure. And what he begins to do is move in your life just because you listened. And he begins to maybe bless other areas around that to bring you back to himself. And then when you get a little comfortable with that, then he kind of starts moving closer and said, Hey, now are you going to follow me here? I brought Jim into your life to talk to you about this. I gave you that promotion over here, and you know I did it. Now are you going to listen to me about your marriage? Or maybe it's something like common cause, just like we talked about this morning, because these are real relevant things to us. You've been kind of going along, and you've been hearing about the Christian life being a life of service, which it is. You've got gifts, which you do. You need to use them there have been people who've moved around you and told you to do that, and maybe you led a group, and maybe the group beat you up. They were hard. They didn't listen. A lot of them didn't show. And so you said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> right? It's so much better out there. It's what I used to do. I'm playing more golf because I know how to hit the ball. But you're out there, and the voice says, What have you got? You're 50 years old now. What have you got? Are you going to do this routine the rest of your life? And you go, well, it's, and it doesn't feel like much because it's old, but at least it's familiar. God begins to move around you, bringing you things to help you. You keep hearing encouragements, and there comes a place where you've got to come to the place of taking that step of faith, and you get right there, and then you turn around, but why don't they get this guy? He had not done anything ever. <laughs> but it's not about him. It's about you. You know, I've experienced that same thing just over the last couple of years, just with the job here. As, as the staff will tell you, I used to be involved in everything. I like to be down on the grassroots. everything. They make jokes about me on the sprinklers out around the campus, because I used to watch them, okay? But there comes a place you can't do that anymore. But I tried. And there comes a place where this voice says, what have you got? And I go, I've got heart problems, I've got Sjogren's, and I'm exhausted. And the voice says, do you want more of that? And see, for me, work is so familiar, so easy. Just to go, I know it's killing me, but <laughs> it it just it just feels like I can control that world. And God says, well, "Let me, let me, let me give you Craig Cheney over here. Let me, let me, let me bless this over here. Let the church do this. Now let's talk about what you're going to do." And I go but I don't know if I can do that. That's new to me. Those are new adventures. And see, there comes a place where you get right there and it, it, it tastes so good, and then just about right there, I'm going, but what about Bill? <laughs> are you all, let me just i am I making sense here? Everybody understand this? Okay, I just want to make sure you understand it. Because I'm telling you, there's power here. There's life here if you go through these things. Because God is not moving on your life to take you to a place that is going to ruin you or is going to shipwreck your life. They may be things that come in your life that are hard that are going to now totally change the direction of your life and put you on totally different ground and totally different turf in a totally different paradigm. And it's not comfortable. And God says, I know it's not comfortable, but that's where I'm calling you to go. Because someone else needs to gird you and take you where you don't want to go, but it's a place of life, and we've got to finally decide it's okay. It is a place of life. But if we want to hold on to our routines and just keep it doing it more and more the same way and keep it under total control, it becomes a place of emptiness and death. But restoration is taking you to a place of an adventure. And that's what we're talking about here this morning. That's why it's so important that you hear what I'm saying. Let me give you three tools that I see. These are the three major tools that God uses in restoration. Over and over again. Let me just put them up here. Here are the three. First of all, there's the Holy Spirit. We've talked a little bit about that already. Then there's people. People in your life. And then lastly, there's faith. Those are the three things that when you walk out of here, Those are the tools that you use to go through what I call restoration. Like I said, you saw all those three in Linda's and Dean's testimony. I thought, you know, when she said, after two years of separation, evidently the Holy Spirit was so strong she got down on her knees. That's a start. But then there were people. She said, then a friend invited her into a Bible study. There's the element of people. And then she hit that crossroads that I mentioned earlier where she came to a place where she had to take this courageous step of faith and go home. And let me tell you, on those steps of faith for Peter, when he said, go tend my lambs, and he was talking about the whole world that took a step of faith. We always want guarantees. We want to have it visually kind of guaranteed for us. And the scripture says, no, no, it's faith here. And you're going to have to step out in faith. And here's the only guarantee I'm going to give you, myself. That's it. Doesn't mean the marriage is going to work. Doesn't mean you're going to get out of debt. Doesn't mean that your health is going to come back. I'm just calling you. Doesn't mean the people in your next group are going to like you. (laughs) I'm just calling you into this world. You hear me? And you're going, yeah, I hear you. I'm calling you into that world. Go. And you're going, what's the guarantee? Me. Period. That's it. Now the question is, are you going to go and discover what that restoration is all about? See, the Holy Spirit, it says in John 16:8 that the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin, that is, the wrong way, righteousness, the right way, and judgment, what happens if you don't listen to me? That's the Holy Spirit. And he kind of becomes, as the old-timers used to say, the hound of heaven, constantly barking at you, letting you know what the course is. Then there's people, Galatians 6:1, remember it said, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, people who come into your life who graciously do things for you that you just can't understand, but they're messengers and prophets of God. I remember a couple Sundays ago after the service, a young man came to me and he shook my hand and he said to me, I hadn't been to church in 10 years. It's exciting to be here today. And I said, well, how did you get here? And he said, well, my life was kind of out of control. I owed a lot of money. I didn't know what to do. I went to a lawyer the lawyer said, "Well, I'll help you kind of restructure this and stuff." And he said, "By the time we got to the end of the process, I didn't even have the money to pay him." And so the lawyer looked at me and he said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Let's do. I'll excuse your debts if you'll go to church at Fellowship Bible Church for three Sundays." <laughs> you know what that is? That's called the people. That's just called the people. Isn't it good to hear a good lawyer story? By the way. You know what that's called? That's called the movement. The movement of people led by the Holy Spirit that bring the breakfast to say it's going to be okay. And then there's faith. You know, Second Corinthians 5 7 just simply says, We walk by faith and not by sight. It can never be by sight. And whatever you're facing right now, listen to me. Do not ask God to guarantee the results. He doesn't act that way. He's like the lion in Aslan, you know, Aslan the lion in the Narnia series, where Peter's sitting there and, and he's talking to the lion. The lion says, Come have some water. And Peter says, Well, you won't eat me, will you? And the lion goes, oh, I make no promises. <laughs> Come and drink. And you've got to take a step of faith to go there. I want to show you how those tools worked in my own life. You know, a number of years ago, Uh, when I was in seminary, I was standing in line registering the very first day of seminary, and I stood with a young man that I got to know that became a good, dear friend, Steve Farrar. And Steve and I, you know, just enjoyed our relationship all the way through seminary. I I still look back with fondness of Steve being over my house every Wednesday night for supper. He was a single guy at the time. And we would watch TV together, and we'd talk and laugh, and Uh, Then after seminary, we brought Steve to our church where he interned and helped start Grace out on Highway 10. Now Steve speaks nationally and writes books and those kind of things. But during the process when he was finishing up his time here, he and I got at odds with one another. And uh, our relationship broke. And it was hard. And there were a couple of times that I tried to repair that breach and it didn't work and made me even madder, and probably him madder too. So for the last five or six years, we've kind of gone our own separate ways. And there'll be times I'll be driving along, and for one reason or another, his name will come up, and I could just feel anger. I could just feel anger. I was an angry or we didn't have a relationship. And I'm sure the same was true of him. And uh, there came a moment this last year where um, I was talking to a couple down here on the front row and they mentioned the book that Steve had written and I kind of responded probably a little cynically or something like that and a guy called me on it. He said, what's the problem here? Next thing I knew he had an email to me. He said, you need need to call Steve. I know Steve. You need to call him. Talk to him about this. And he said, I'm going to call Steve. So he called Steve. And he talked to Steve, and I'm sure Steve had the same response I did, nope, not going to do it. A week later, I flew to Miami Beach to be a part of a conference team. I was there, it got a little late, my plane got in a little late, and I walked in the room, there was one seat next to Steve Ferrar. <laughs> so I sat down next to Steve, and it was funny, we didn't want to talk about it, but, but what we did is, is we talked about other things, the old times. We laughed. There were moments there where there was just you could just feel this sense of chemistry again. You could taste it. Come have breakfast. At the end of that time, I took Steve out to the plane, and he was standing there. And the day before, God gave me a statement. He said, I want you to say this. And I went, no, I can't do that. He said, no, you need to say it. It was one of those crossroads moments. You know. So I'm standing at the airport and I'm handing Steve his bags and he's paying the guy to put him on the plane and give him a little tip and Steve turned to me and it was the moment. I looked at Steve and I said, I really miss our friendship. He turned and walked away. Except when Monday came, he gave me a call. He said, Will you forgive me? I said, I really will. I miss you. I, said, I miss you too. Restoration complete. Now, let me ask you before we finish here this morning where does this powerful, transforming word of life need to be applied in your life? Here's some things you can ask yourself. Where is the Holy Spirit speaking into your poverty? Into your emptiness? Into your failure at life? Where is he speaking? Not hard, with a spirit of gentleness, but he's asking, is this what you want? He's just simply asking you that. Is this what you want the rest of your life? Where are people being used to move you to be repaired? Rebuilt? Reinstated? They're coming out of the blue, but they're just God just uses them to kind of Just gently urge you to move towards this place that you need to be. And what courageous faith step do you need to take without excuses, without comparing yourself to others, and without any guarantees? Where is that? What is God asking you to do by faith? I want you to know the loop of restoration will never be closed until you take it. And there are no guarantees because it may take you in a totally different direction that you ever imagined. But here's what I want you to know. Wherever it takes you, it'll be good. And it'll make a difference. Restoration is always available. Whatever you're thinking, whatever, however hard it seems right now, let me tell you, whatever you have, whatever you could hold up and say, here's my problem, it is not beyond restoration. This is an incredible word. Restoration. It's a word of life. Listen, everybody look at me for a moment. Restoration is a word of life that goes vertical, doesn't it? It's a word of life that goes horizontal, doesn't it? It's a word of life that always goes through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this week's message. It really helps us when you rate and review this podcast. If you found today's teaching helpful, take time to do that today. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. Visit soundofarose.com for any of your podcasting needs.